This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And the biggest problem we have in this business, the higher you go in it, is being envious of this job assignment or where this guy is on the totem pole or what this guy is doing and what you're not doing, how much money this person's making and what you're not making. Just be thankful you're doing because there are thousands that are lined up to do what you're doing. Be thankful. Don't be envious. Be thankful. And, and that, that is how I am. I am so thankful that I have been lucky enough to be in this business. Welcome to the latest episode of this Just Getting Started About the Voices of the National Football League. Already, we've had Al Michaels and we've had Joe Buck of NBC Sports and Fox Sports respectively tell us about how their careers in broadcasting just got started and also some neat stories along the way leading to a a great piece of advice that they've received in their careers that maybe you can use in your life to take with you as you go about your journey here in these crazy, crazy times. My guest this week from uh, right here, Cumulus Podcast Network is home to Just Getting Started, also to Westwood One Radio and Westwood One Sports, the voice of Monday Night Football on Westwood One. Also, you hear him on CBS and the NBA on TNT, the great Kevin Harlan. Thrilled to have you here, Kevin Harlan. Thanks for doing this. Rich, thank you so much. Great to be on. I'm uh over the moon uh, in terms of uh, working with you. So excited. And uh, it's going to be a very fun season. The longest we've had too, which is going to be nice. I know, right? We've got, we've, we've got uh, an extra week of games coming up this, this fall. There's going to be a week 18, um, which is going to be something uh, wild to get to before another, you know, extra wild card game per wild card day. This, this coming January, middle of January, it's going to be a little bit weird to get to get used to. But uh, I am particularly fired up to work with you and Kurt and who you call the games with um, hosting the Monday Night Football broadcast from probably this position right here in my office. It is truly amazing, Kevin, that Monday Night Football is still in so many ways three words that carry with it a special message and a special feeling to it after all these years a half century in kevin you know i'm i'm so glad you said that i i feel the same way when i first uh took an interest in radio uh it was probably back about uh 1972 73 74 i was uh, 12 13 years old and i remember listening to monday night games I believe at that time they were on mutual broadcasting. And I think Lindsey Nelson was one of the voices of Monday Night Football on radio. And then uh, it went to a whole new level when Jack Buck and Hank Stram were broadcasting. And I remember driving when I was in high school for maybe games that I had done or covering a practice, uh, but just, just uh, you know, in high school and thinking, would there ever be a way would there ever in my wildest imagination with an unlimited ceiling thinking about about this particular property 
that I'd ever get a chance to do Monday night football. And so every time I put on that headset for Westwood One, regardless of stadium, uh, I am I am living a dream. And I, I do say a small little prayer of thanks. Uh, the fact that I've been so incredibly lucky to to get to do this. And uh, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret of all the things I do, Rich, and, and you may feel this way after you join us this year. It's it's the most fun, the most fulfilling, the most challenging thing that I do. I, I get such incredible satisfaction being a part of that broadcast. Well, I mean, there's so many different ways to go based on the answer you just gave. So I'm going to kind of take it one step at a time here. Uh, you mentioned Lindsey Nelson. For me, uh, growing up in New York City, he was one of the broadcasters of the New York Mets games when I was a kid. And the thing that just leaps out to me about Lindsey Nelson is I never thought that jackets could look like that, the ones that he would wear. It looked like a horse blanket, you know? Like I, I, They were just these wild plaid jackets that he would wear. But he had a set of pipes, man. That guy had a set of pipes. Yeah, from Lindsay Tennessee. Nelson. I think you I think he was from Tennessee. May have even done the volunteers. And of course, I think a lot of people outside of the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area probably know him from the Notre Dame college football rewinds on on Sunday morning that were syndicated <laughs> all over the country. And, right. and and then I watched him with CBS. And actually, um uh I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. My dad was with the Green Bay Packers for 37 years, uh, 20 years as the president and CEO. When I was in grade school and high school, I used to spot in the Lambeau Field press box uh, for different broadcasters and networks and got to work a couple times with Lindsey Nelson. And it was just the no. thrill of a lifetime. Kidding. Now, again, that's another part of your answer because you'd mentioned you were, you know, 12 and listening to the radio and hearing Lindsey Nelson and you were inspired to get into radio, but also part of your upbringing that some might not know, you just mentioned you were exposed to the world of the NFL right from the get-go with your dad being such an important part of the Packers organization and being at the forefront of of the Packers organization is in terms of the, the lead member of membership, as they call it in the national football league. What, what is your first football memory? Kevin Harlan. I'll go back rich. Even before that, my dad was with the baseball Cardinals as their media relations director uh, during the time of the two world series and 67 against the Red Sox and 68 against Denny McLean and Mickey Lolich and the Detroit uh, Tigers, Al Kaline, uh, McAuliffe, uh, all, all those, all those ter- yeahs with the Red Sox. But on that Cardinal team, and I used to go to spring training uh, for two weeks every year that he was with the Cardinals from 65 to 71, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Kurt Flood, Roger Maris, Julian Javier, Tim McCarver, uh, Orlando Cepeda. Uh, I mean, like all these incredible baseball players at Bush at a brand new Bush Stadium in St. Louis. My dad had been with Al McGuire at Marquette as the sports information director and then went to the baseball Cardinals in 65. And so when I was a kid, we would go to church on Sunday mornings, drive after church down to Bush Stadium in St. Louis, have breakfast in the press box. And I remember distinctly walking in, here would come Jack Buck and he would see me and my dad having breakfast in the press box. And I was like six, seven years old. 
uh, here came Vin Scully and and um, uh, Bob Prince of the of the Pittsburgh Pirates, like these incredible voices. And and then on those Sundays when I would watch home Cardinal games from uh, the box seats or go out to left field or sneak into the clubhouse or wherever I was, it it, it put me like behind the curtain. I got to see press boxes and fields and practices and and all all kinds of things. And when Dan Devine left the University of Missouri in 1971, uh, he took my dad with him to run the Packer front office. So I was a ball boy from 1971 into the times I got in college in Green Bay. And then during the games, I'd go to the press box and spot, work on stats or do whatever. So I got to see everything. And it just put me uh, so much further ahead because I knew the mechanics. I was, I was lucky enough to be exposed to all these great writers, uh, the way a press box operated, the way a broadcast booth moved, and and that just fueled the, the, the fire even more. That is amazing, Kevin. All right, again, I just want to rewind a little bit here because I did not know that part about your father's history. He was the SID for Al McGuire at Marquette. He was. Does he? You got a good. You got a good story from your dad about that, about Al McGuire and Marquette. I've got a pretty good one, broadcast related. When I was young, they've got a picture of me on a court with a ball, and it's it, it shot from my back. And in the background, Al McGuire is having a practice with his Marquette then Marquette Warrior basketball team. This is 1964, 63. I, I was three, four years old. Uh, Fast forward to CBS, where I work now and have for the last 24 years, Al McGuire and I worked on a game together at uh, Michigan State. Um, And um, I brought that picture uh, and we put it on the air. I was three or four and Al McGuire's conducting practice um, in in the background. And, And Al McGuire, when my dad rejoined the Packers, he came back to Wisconsin and joined the Packers. Um, would come up on his Harley Davidson motorcycle from Milwaukee to attend one uh, training camp practice every year. And, you know, I saw him all through high school. He'd come up once a year and by himself and take off the helmet. Here was Al McGuire, and he'd watch practice and get back on the Harley and drive back down to Milwaukee. Uh, he was he was a character and a wonderful guy and just uh, – so I've kind of known him in three different ways. When I was a kid and and – three or four when I was in high school and he'd come to practice. And then uh, when I, uh, one time I worked with him at CBS, which was a, a treat. And it was the second to last broadcast Al ever had. The last one was with uh, uh, Dick Enberg, the late Dick Enberg and Billy sure, Packer. CBS got them together the week after we did a game. And that was his final game at CBS. Final no game on kidding. the air. Yes. Yes. Wow. I mean, talk about life working that way. Kevin, that is amazing. I did not know that. And that's part of the thing I love about this podcast series is just I love talking about announcers and broadcasting and and you know Enberg and 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 obviously McGuire and Packer were one of the greatest trios to call any sporting event for any sport as well and I had no idea that you were exposed to all of that at such a young age. So how did you get your first break? Because obviously, you know, your father and your, your life, you, you were afforded to get in on um, in, in spots that, you know, uh, exposed you and, and stoked your interest in anything. H- how did you get your first 
gig? How did you eventually work into that? Before you asked about my first football memory, and my first football memory was more of a voice, and the voice was John Facenda of NFL Films as he narrated Super Bowl One between the Packers and the Chiefs. And, and that kind of uh, perked uh, my interest in, in voice, in football, in sports, in broadcasting. When I was a ball boy, uh, from the time I was about 11 till I went to college, um, I worked all the summers. And during my lunch break, I would run up to the press box in an empty Lambeau field and go in the Packer Radio Network broadcast booth, shut the door, and do imaginary games on the field. And then in my room... Uh, in Green Bay, growing up, shut the door, turned on the TV, turned down the sound, and did countless games um, off of television. Um, I went to a, a high school in Green Bay that, that uh, unbelievably ran a, a radio station run by students. It was a 10-watt radio station and tried out for the play-by-play job, which I had been practicing for the previous three or four years in my room by myself or in an empty Lambeau uh, field up in the press box and got the job when I was a sophomore and and did play-by-play from 15 years on uh, 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 through high school, sophomore, junior, and senior year, uh, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, um, uh, and track meets. And then I got to the point where I was then freelancing and doing games on commercial radio stations in high school up and down the Fox River Valley, which included Oshkosh and Manitowoc and Sheboygan and all these all these little cities north of and south of Green Bay. And then went to college and like so many of us, I uh, really got my teeth into the business at that time with journalism classes and, and some practical experience with the student station and commercial stations at the University of Kansas. I was about to say, so you're a Jayhawk, right? Okay. All right. And who was, uh, who was, Coaching then and or playing there then? Who, who well, guy um, Don Fambro was the football coach. You wouldn't know him, but the the basketball coach with Ted Owens. But but even more interesting than that, the the guy that that uh, Gary Bender of CBS had recommended to my dad um, that I look at Kansas. I was going to go to Wisconsin and be in their journalism department. And Bob Johnson, the hockey coach of the Badgers was recruiting a couple of our players on our high school team, was in our broadcast area as I was doing a hockey game and offered me a scholarship through the hockey program to go to Wisconsin to broadcast hockey <laughs> for the Badgers. And of course, they had Olympians on that team eventually that went out and played in, um, uh, in the 1980 Olympics. So, so um, anyway, but, but, but uh, including his son, Mark Johnson. Um, so anyway, um, uh, uh, Gary Bender had told my dad, he said, you should go to Kansas. And there's a guy that broadcasts the Jayhawks, does their football and basketball by the name of Tom Hedrick. Um, and I went down there, visited with, with Tom Hedrick. And he said, if you come to KU, I'll let you be with me on the Jayhawk network on football and basketball, doing our pregame, halftime and postgame. You can do sideline and football on the network. Sold. I, I'm, I'm sold. The, I, I was sold. And ironically <laughs> enough, Tom Hedrick, was the first voice of Super Bowl One on CBS radio with Jack Drees, a Chicago broadcaster. And Tom did Super Bowl One and Super Bowl Four, And uh, ironically enough, then I did Super Bowl 50. So you talked moments ago about things going full circle. I mean, how weird is that, that he would uh, be kind of my mentor for those four years at Kansas 
And then, like him, I would do the Super Bowl and 50 years after he had done Super Bowl one. And 50, Super Bowl 55 now and yes, counting. Yes, and, yes. you know, on Westwood One, it's, I, I love stuff like this, Kevin Harlan. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What about the moment you knew, I guess you knew when you were a kid that this was right for you, but what about the moment where you realized it was work though, right? I mean, like that there is preparation that goes into it and travel and things like that was that in college did did at any moment in time you wonder if this was something you wanted to continue to do or it was always a labor of love from the get-go always been a labor of love i I always tell people um uh, that i am uh, living the life that i dreamt of living and i always dreamt of of doing games, uh, especially on, on radio. Network radio is my first love, my true love right now in terms of the business and 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 what I find the most challenging. We can talk about the, we can get in the weeds on that a little bit later on because I know you like some of those mechanical things. But I, um, I, I think it became work once I met my wife. I had, uh, my first job out of college was in the NBA doing the Kansas City Kings on radio and television. I worked with Easy Ed McCauley on TV. But on radio, I worked by myself for 60 games, did 22 with him on a simulcast. And then the other games were just radio. And I did those by myself. But I got that job the day I graduated from Kansas. I was 21 when I got it and started when I was 22 in the NBA. I did two years with the Kings before they moved to Sacramento. And as they were uh, trying to get me to go to Sacramento to continue as their voice, the Chiefs job opened up on radio. And um, I wanted to stay in Kansas City anyway. All my buddies were there. I was still single. I knew I knew the city. I knew the area so well. Loved Kansas, and uh, and got the Chiefs job uh, hired by Lamar Hunt on a football on a, on a football shaped table that was probably ten yards long. And he was at one he was at one tip of the table. Lamar Hunt and I was at the other. And Bob Springer, you may remember that name, the longtime PR director for the Chiefs, was sitting to my right, and the president of the team, Jack Stemmett. It was just the four of us in this room. And he offered me the job uh, at 24 to do the to do the Chiefs, and I did them Come for nine on. years. But I Come met my on. wife. I need more information, even though you told me the shape <laughs> of the table and who's in there. So you get through, I imagine, the, the vetting process long enough where, like, you've got to meet Mr. Hunt, right? That, yeah. That's the well, way he, it went. He was, Len, Dawson, Len Dawson and I had to do the Missouri football spring game that previous mm-hmm. Saturday at Arrowhead. So I had flown yes. home from doing the Kings at the Spurs – on TV, flew home Saturday morning, went right from the Kansas City airport to Arrowhead, and they walk in the booth, and here is Hall of Famer Len Dawson on a Saturday, yes. an off day for him, and we're going to take the first half of this game that then Lamar Hunt subsequently listened to and hired me off that off that that uh, spring football game for the Missouri Tigers. 
But when I met my wife and began to travel, you asked when it became work. That's when it became work, sure. when I had to travel. That, that when I had to leave her, and we have a family, four, three girls and a boy, and that's when it, that's when it became hard and I felt like it became like work because of, of the traveling being away from home. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, growing up, Kevin, my guy who in New York City who made me fall in love with the concept of, of doing this was Marv Albert. Um, growing up, listening to the Knicks and the Rangers on the radio and Marv calling it. And then, you know, when I was old enough to stay up, <laughs> you know, snapped off the radio and then tuned into WNBC TV and watched Marv do the sports. And I'm like, so wait a minute. I'm like, so he's in Madison Square Garden calling the Knicks and the Rangers. And then he you know, goes to work after that on TV. She calls the game. Then he does the, the highlights. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and in the same way that you would call games, bless you. And, you know, and in, in an empty Lambeau field, I was on Harold street in Staten Island, New York, realizing I couldn't hit the curveball, So I might as well call the matches of my brother, you know, and uh, that's what I would do. And, um, I just, and I read Marv's book, something along the lines of, you know, sorry, but I have a game. I'd, lo you know, I'd love to, but I've got a game. I think I that's it. Correct. I'd love to, but I've got a game. And that was the first time I did realize as a growing up, like, okay, it's a job, you know, and it is a dream job. And, but it is, you know, it's something. You know, and um, and it's that's why I just was wondering, because it's a dream way to grow up and get exposed to it and then work your ass off to get to the position where where you were. But it's interesting. So then you, you met your wife and you had kids and then, you know, sorry, I'd like to, but I have a game. I'm sure that happened. It happened a lot. I, I, I think we've, we've been married for 34 years. I think I've been around for like three anniversaries. I've missed, I've missed a lot of birthdays, but what the kids would tell you, and I, and I, it's, it's, it's funny. We're talking about this NFL films has been here for two straight days, filming a story on our family. Uh, my daughter, uh, was with ESPN, uh, has done a lot of sideline work, works with Westwood one on occasion doing sideline. My dad was with the Packers and me and my NFL career, uh, with my, uh, 30, I think it's my 37th consecutive season doing the NFL, uh, play by play. Um, but, but we were talking about, about, uh, you know, I, I said, I said, I, I always worried that I wasn't, if the kids, if the remembrance of me when they were growing up was of a dad that was not there. And they said that was by the grace of God, they said, this. they said it, it was, that was the furthest thing from my mind. You were there every time we had a game, every time we were cheerleading. And I, and I, and there were some interesting, you know, flights back and forth and we do team meetings in the morning and I'd fly back on Friday afternoon, watch them cheer or play on Friday night and get back on a plane Saturday and go back to our city and do our stuff. And sometimes, um, you know, had been there for, for the important things and we would just rearrange birthday instead of on a Tuesday, we'd celebrate it on a Wednesday. And if my wife and I had an anniversary on a Wednesday, we'd celebrate it maybe on a Thursday when I was home. Um, but, but I'm off in the summer. I'm off right now. I'm at our, uh, 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 I'm, I'm off right now, except for some Packer preseason broadcasts, but I've been off since the middle of June when the NBA live time in the NBA stops. So I, th I think they, but, but, but every time it's been harder and every time I get on that plane, 
Um, and you probably realize this too, just, you know, you, when you're away from home, you're away from home and it just isn't as comfortable. We've all got a job to do certainly. And, and that's part of life, but it doesn't make it any easier. And that, that becomes the hardest part. The prep, I, I, I never find the prep is, is hard. I, I, not that I enjoy the process. Enberg always said uh, to us in our CBS seminars, he would say, uh, what I enjoy the most is digging into the books and writing down the notes and I don't feel that way at all. I, what, what, <laughs> I mean, I like oh it. Oh my! I like. Oh my! Um, and by the way, Dick Enberg. I mean, and you know, you knew him, and yeah. uh, what a uh, just wonderful insight into the business and being a being a dad and being a husband and just 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 a, a man in full, right? I mean, he 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 was a wine connoisseur. He traveled the world. He, he did Olympics. He did he did everything. But um, but but I I, I enjoy um, my satisfaction comes after a game. Or after a play or a quarter, when I said, "Boy, you know what? I, th- I think I did that." And and the, and the most anguish comes when um, I feel like, "God, I wish I would have used this word or used that phrase or figured out a way how I could have called that better or laid out more or talked more or whatever." And you, know, you always have you get in a car after a game, heading to the airport, and feel like there are a thousand different things you would have done differently. But um, it's live TV or live radio, and right. and that's what makes it challenging. And the, the challenge is accepted by everybody that's there. And, and I, I love the challenge. And that that's probably the most gratifying. But that becomes the work, just making sure that you're on top and staying focused and doing your job. Well, as we matriculate our way through this interview, to use the uh, Hank Stram phrase here, 37 years ago, your first broadcast was what? The NFL. Give me your first game, your first your first assignment, your first uh, partner in the booth. Walk me through it, Kevin. Well, the first, uh, first NFL play-by-play job, 1985 preseason game in Cincinnati with Len Dawson and an old-time broadcaster, the late Bill Grigsby, who did the first year of the Chiefs were in Kansas City in 1963. Mm-hmm. And that was my first NFL broadcast. Now, to backpedal a little bit, while I was in college doing all these other mm-hmm. games on Sunday, yes. I produced uh, I produced the Chiefs pregame show on KCMO Radio, a news talk station. They hired me when I was a sophomore in college. They gave me three hours of a pregame show to produce. So I was involved in the broadcast when I was about 19 years old um, and commuting into Kansas City from the Lawrence campus and, and doing all these all these uh, different things for this three-hour pregame show. The best part of it, though, Rich, I mentioned John Facenda earlier on, and that was the voice that really got me thinking about, about broadcasting when I was eight, nine years old. Um, uh, I wanted Facenda to do the open to the show. And I, I, I wrote a note to NFL Films, to John Facenda, uh, like in 1980, 1979. And I said what I was doing, and I'd love him to, here's the copy, um, here's the address, um, please add your invoice. Uh, I would be most grateful if you do this. And about a week goes by, and I get at my fraternity in college at the University of Kansas, this NFL Films package. And in there are the reels from John Facenda, and and um, Facenda, um, um, and he put his phone. He said, "Call me when you get this." I didn't even listen to him. I called him and said, "Hi, Mr. Facenda, this is him." And he said, "Let me ask you a question, Kevin. Uh, would you mind if I revoiced one portion of this tape?" And I said, "Sure, do whatever you want." Uh, Thank you, Kevin. I'm in the studio now, and I'll I'll send this to you pronto. And so sure enough, a couple days later, here comes 
this second reel that Facenda has, has recorded everything again, but he has added his own touches. And I'm listening to the tape then uh, later that week for the first game, and I, I'm listening to the raw tape, and Facenda's on there saying, uh, boys, let's try saying this, 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 and he records whatever he, he, he says and the way he wants it to be read, and he goes, ha, 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 ha. now that's a horse that I can ride. And I, and I could just see John Pacenda in that voice saying that, and, and then and I've got the tape somewhere in my home in Kansas City, and, um, but that, that just, again, brought things full circle. The great legendary voice who got the Pete Rosell Award this year into the Hall of Fame in Canton, P, uh, he, uh, John Pacenda's voice. Um, and and he uh, he recorded that for me when I was in college yeah, for our show in Kansas stories. City. Oh my gosh! Two stories I got to tell you based off of this. One, when Facenda um, was named the recipient of the Roselle Award, which goes to somebody of a distinguished career in broadcasting. Uh, that's the that's how they the, a broadcaster goes in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. For those who may not know, um, I called up NFL Films. Um, and um, I, I poked around there. I spoke to Ken Rogers, who's one of the, you know, longtime producers there. And I'm like, you know, who there can get give me uh, the best Facenda story? You know, and he turned me on to Greg Cosell, who's been there for over 30-something years. The nephew of Howard, but who's been there forever and a day. And he told me that his tenure started just at the end of Facenda. And that he would write some copy and, you know, drive it over sometimes to Facenda's house to have him record it or have him, uh, he'd walk it into the studio with him. And when he got copy that he particularly liked, he would turn to Greg and he would say, now that's a horse I can ride. Oh, wow. How about the, that? How about that? what he said, according to Greg Cosell, when he got copy that he really liked. Now that's a horse I can ride. So when you said that, I'm like, oh my God, that's what Greg Cosell just told me. It's a Facenda line. So you got the highest praise you could have gotten from John Facenda, which I'm thrilled to be able to even remotely tell you. Um, I love that. The other one is the reason why I was, you know, calling around to NFL films to ask for a name is because obviously when he was alive, the person you'd reach out to is Steve Sable. Cause you know, I, I, and I miss Steve immensely who went into the hall of fame posthumously and a year late. Cause he was part of the 2020 centennial class. He just went in that he, Steve w was the walking encyclopedia. He was the walk. He, he was, he was NFL films incarnate. He was the hall of fame and NFL films walking around his, Brain was one of the most beautiful brains, and it's so remarkably heart-wrenching that it was his brain that eventually um, did him in. Um, but the reason why I bring this up is I asked Facenda, I mean, I asked um, uh, Sable in the first interview I ever conducted with him at the Super Bowl in Houston in 2004 calendar year, 2003 season, the first one we ever did for NFL Network, um, that was the uh, the the um, Patriots beating Jake DeLome, John Fox, and the Carolina Panthers. Um, I asked him the person that NFL Films had to bleep out the most 
in the history of NFL films. And his answer shocked me. He said, Marv Levy. Really? And I'm like, the I- yes, I'm like the Ivy League coach of the Bills and obviously the Chiefs as well. And yes, that Marv cursed like a sailor. He said sometimes it was sounding like a truck backing up. We finished the interview on the air and I turned to him. I'm like, I can't believe it's Marv Levy you had to bleep out the most. And he says to me, well, I do have some outtakes of John Facenda that you'd really <laughs> blow your mind. And I'm like, what? Really? Like John Facenda would be the autumn wind is a uh, like F that. Like, I'm like, really? Like he, he, he said, yes. And I'm like, is there any way I could hear one of them? And he said, never. It will never see the light of day. So somewhere in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, that real exists, Kevin. Well, let me, and I would, let me oh. tie in two things you've talked about. When I was doing the Chiefs, um, CBS had just lost the rights to the NFC. Fox had gotten them. We're in Buffalo, uh, AFC championship game, Joe Montana quarterbacking the Chiefs. I've just finished interviewing Marty Schottenheimer for our network coaches show. I'm walking down the tunnel, the ramp onto the field, walking across the field, and I see that I'm going to intersect with Carl Peterson, the, the president and general manager of the Chiefs, yes. and his best friend, Steve Sable. And as I'm approaching, Carl gets this big smile on his face. And I think, okay, <clears throat> you know, I'm clearing my <coughs> hello, you know, get ready to say hello. And uh, Carl goes, we were just talking about you. Steve was telling me a story about you. And I said, hello, I'm Kevin Hearn. He goes, I know who you are. You know, Steve Bullock, a big smile on his face. He said, Fox just called me this week. They said, give me the top three play-by-play guys, in your opinion, doing radio in the NFL for local markets. And I gave him your name. And so every year that I sign a contract renewal with then Fox and then for the last 24 years, CBS, um, while he was alive, I wrote a note to Steve Sable saying, the only reason I'm at this level is because of your kindness, your generosity, your thoughtfulness and putting my name in front of somebody who could hire and I'll forever be thankful. And then, um, you know, so obviously we've got a, we've got a connection there. You mentioned Facenda before every game, I'm going to pull this up before every game I broadcast because Facenda was my first real voice that, that captured my imagination. I play this before every Sunday game when I leave my hotel room for CBS and every Monday night before I uh, go to our field to do our, our Monday night games. So let me find this here real quick because sure. um, uh, uh, here it is right here. I'm going to turn this as loud as I can so you can hear it. The autumn wind is a pirate blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song. And and I and I, I won't get too emotional here, but when I hear that, it just it just it it puts me in the in the frame of mind of of doing the NFL. How lucky I know you feel this way is the as is really the voice now of the NFL. We all feel so lucky and privileged to be a part of this great thing. And when I think of my football weekends and one day with CBS and one day with Westwood One and one day working with Trent Green, then Kurt Warner, and now you. Um, these, these are, these are, um, you know, this is. Those are the things that now, for me, at this stage in my career, that I appreciate the most. 
And and just to, I guess, tie it all together, that reading of The Autumn Wind about the, the Raiders is a poem that Steve Sable wrote. He wrote that. So he wrote it, and Facenda, that was a horse that Facenda could ride, I'm sure, when he got that copy. And um, it is, you know, Sable, I get emotional talking about it. Um, and I love sharing these stories, um, certainly with people who revere him, as I, you clearly do. Um, I, I wrote a book in 2007 about the launch of NFL Network. I don't know what compelled me to write a book, but I did. <laughs> and it was it was an undertaking, man, to say the least. And you could get it in like, it's probably in one of these shelves behind me somewhere. Uh, you could get it for a cent somewhere. Um, I'm going to download uh, it tonight on my Kindle. Yeah, you, please. You, it, it's great, man. Uh, it's a, it's a little dated. It's about the, you know, the, the weekend NFL draft and things like that. You know, it's, it's dated. There's so much has changed. It's remarkable. It's changed between 2007 and now 2021. But, um, uh, there was a no brainer for the person to write the forward. It was Steve Sable. So I called Steve Sable up and I'm like, look, you know, I'd love for you. I'm sure you, you've got a lot of requests for this sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, the NFL Network doesn't exist without you. You are the 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 grand poobah of everything that is NFL media, which it wasn't even called at the time. But uh, I, if you, I'm like, hey, if you could find the time to write a forward, you know, what, and, and any time in the next, you know, few weeks, please do it. And if you've, anybody's ever asked anybody to do anything in our industry, you know, it's, it's sometimes they'll, you know, you got to ask again or right. follow up. Put it down at the very last moment and then send it in. Kevin, within three days in the mail, I got the most remarkable forward that included, you know, references to Howdy Doody, you know, like typical Steve Sable. Like, I don't know how he could, <laughs> why he would use that to talk about the invent, the advent of NFL Network or me. And it was everything I wanted and more. And um, it's something I will always cherish. And that family, you know, is a reason why NFL Network exists. And I, I love hearing that you think of him before you do every broadcast. Um, it's it's so it's so cool, man. I'm so glad that we're telling these stories to each other and for this audience right now. And I'm glad we got a chance to talk about Steve. It's basically what I'm saying. He's had this uh, wonderful place now in, uh, in Canton with his dad. And um, and how how wonderful is that that the Sable name is as prominent in that wing of Canton as well, yeah. now Jack Buck and Joe Buck as Joe just got in so it's uh, well uh, look man obviously you and your dad um, are 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 seminal names for for the NFL in terms of uh, front office work and and you know being at the forefront of a franchise and you being a voice uh, of the NFL for uh, locally and nationally now thirty seven years so. Um, who was your, what was your first game for CBS where you earned your jacket, I guess your sport coat? You know what? I, I, re I remember my first game for Fox, my first network game for Fox. Okay. So Fox, you were on Fox before CBS? I was for four years. Okay. In fact, they hired, okay. you know, they hired Summerall and they hired Stockton and then they, they probably had no more money left to spend. So, <laughs> they, so they hired four other guys. They hired me, Joe yeah. Buck, Kenny Albert, and Tom Brenneman. And we were their six play-by-play -play guys. And my first and four-year partner, my first partner, only partner, four-year partner, was Jerry Glanville. And our first game was at Lambeau Field in Green Bay uh, with the Vikings playing the Packers. And um, they come on with James Brown, who at that time was with Fox, 
And he said, welcome to a new dawn of NFL broadcasting on Fox Sports. And he was there with Jimmy and Terry and, and Howie and everybody else. And they're a minute or two into their pregame show, first time they broadcast the NFL. And their first stop on the road was in Green Bay because Sterling Sharp was holding out of practice um, and games leading up to the opener because he didn't like his contract. And no. that was the big story opening weekend, 1994. And they came to, to me at Lambeau. Then they widened the shot to me and Jerry. We gave them the report. We're not five minutes as a network into the NFL. And I send it back to Los Angeles. Another fun moment. My brother, Brian, was with the Chicago Bears uh, for 16 years. He was there with Ditkin, McMahon, in the fridge. Walter, no he, yes, he was the PR director with Kenny Valdeseri. And he was there for 16 years in Chicago. And uh, we would do this whip around on Fox where uh, Summerall would send it to so-and-so and and Buck would send it to Brenneman and Brenneman would send it to Dick Stockton and Stockton, you know, so we would do this whip around to all the games they were going to broadcast in that early window. So Pat Summerall is giving his report. Uh, this may have been like week two. And, and uh, I'm Pat Summerall in San Francisco. Now let's go to Brian Harlan. At Soldier Field in Chicago, he was throwing it to my. He got mixed up with with my brother and me, and felt horribly, and called me that night, and he felt horrible. I said, "Please, just hearing you say our last name is enough." And and but and I use Pat Summerall's spotting boards to this day. When I was a couple years at Fox, uh, I, I I was we were talking about preparation. And Summerall said, what do your boards look like? And I said, uh, well, I've got them kind of positionally uh, uh, depicted. I've got the offensive line. I've got the receivers. I got a tight end. I got the backs and I got the quarterback. He goes, let me bring my boards next week and I'll show you. And he brought his boards and I have used them ever since um, because he does them numerically. And in this day and age, Rich, as you know, with players now wearing number 11 and number six, and they're playing defensive line in the NFL, or linemen going back in coverage, the, the sub packages, they're all over the place. So numerically has been a gift from Pat Summerall that I use to this day okay. with my with my spotting boards. Well, in this year, as you know, players are, are exactly wear all sorts of numbers. That's, like, that's going to come in really handy this it, year. It is. And I, I just finished doing a game. Um, my first preseason game at the Packer Television Network, and we got guys wearing single digits playing linebacker, playing defensive line. And it's it's running backs now with the single digit, which you never saw. Now you do, right. and now you know that, that, that just because you see a number 49 does not mean a guy you know should be in this place. Now he could be who knows where, and uh, or, or number 8 or number 11. So it, it's weird. It's going to take some it, – it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough on play-by-play guys, I know. How about that, Kevin? So you're, you you listen to Facenda before a broadcast. You look down, you see Summerall's boards. I mean, my gosh, you're a walking museum. You're a walking broadcasting museum. Well, and, when and you're doing this thing, I, I, I those I, you're I, I I know you're guided by those kinds of people. That the voices in your head are the people that whether it's Musburger, you know, the greats that have oh, hosted, yes. that been the hosts of these magnificent Sundays in pro football. And, and those are the voices I hear in my head. I, I, I wish I sounded more like them. I don't, but I, no, but I do, I, I do hear those voices and, and I'm sure you do too. Like, like we're all guided by people like you were talking about Lindsay and us. We're all, we're all following that compass that those earlier broadcasters set for us to follow. And I, I do every Sunday and Monday night. 
for sure. Well, Kevin, let's wrap it up with the question I ask everybody on this series, and that is the best piece of advice and from whom that you've received in your broadcasting career. What's the best words of wisdom you've received? Who who told it to you? And uh, I, I, I think I think I've got a pretty good one. When I was doing the Kings, and I was 22 doing the NBA, I was doing a game. Uh, in Landover, Maryland, with the Kansas City Kings against the Washington Bullets. Before going before going to that game, when I was in college, I listened to Larry King do overnight on mutual broadcasting. I thought he was a, the, the best interviewer I had heard. I loved his voice. Uh, he was a, an economy of words and efficient. Just I just I just idolized Larry King, and I had called the offices of Mutual in Crystal City, Virginia. And I said, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've listened to growing up. Would you mind after I do this game, if I drove to Crystal City from Landover to watch Larry King do his overnight show? And they said, sure. So I drive in after the game from Landover in a rental car, get to Crystal City. They let me in. I go to the, and and King's show has already started. And I'm sitting in a booth where I can see him through the glass and that night, his interviewer, his interviewee was John McCain, talking about being a prisoner of war. So John McCain and Larry King are in there talking for a couple hours. They're taking calls. John McCain leaves. Um, we now get into the last hour of his show, between 4 a.m. and 5 a.m., but I cannot take my eyes off of Larry King. And he comes into the booth during a commercial break, and he says, uh, hi, uh, they said we had a, uh, what do you call us? A, uh, uh, not a, I'll, I'll think of it here in a second. Um, we said we had a young broadcaster in here and I'll think of the, I'll think of the term he used a fire, a fire, a fire. Oh, I forget what it was. And he goes, he goes, how are you? And I, and I knew I had just a limited time. So I said, do you have any advice for a young broadcaster who's just starting? Um, and he said, uh, yeah, the advice I would tell you is always please yourself. He says, you're going to have different people in your ear. You're going to have producers, you're going to have directors, you're going to have bosses and program directors, and everybody telling you how you should do it and what you should say and how you should sound and everything else. He said, but the advice I would give any young fireballer, I think is what he maybe, was that what it was? What I would recommend is always please yourself, because if you always please yourself, you'll stay true to yourself. And in this business, as you'll find, the longer you're in it, you need to stay true to yourself. Believe what you believe in. Study the others. Do all the things you've got to do to be good. There's a roadmap out there. And I'm saying, you know, follow that. But but at the end of the day, you've got to please yourself. So um, when I talk to college kids, I tell them that. I say, be present. I said, in this business, if, if you're wishing you were this person or envious of that person or, or trying to be like him or trying to be like whatever, I said, you're not being yourself and you're not doing the job in front of you. If you're looking over here and over here or up there, over there, you're not looking right in front of you. And the biggest problem we have in this business, the higher you go in it, is being envious of this job assignment or where this guy is on the totem pole or what this guy is doing and what you're not doing, how much money this person's making and what you're not making. Just be thankful you're doing, because there are thousands that are lined up to do what you're doing. Be thankful. Don't be envious. Be thankful. And, and that is that is how I am. I am. Uh, I have an, I am so thankful that I have been lucky enough to be in this business, and to to literally this point, and I'm talking with someone who I've admired forever, have followed your career. I'm going to be oh. your teammate, and so these. Yeah, this is why I am 
thankful that I'm in this business. Well, and, and right back at you, and and clearly you take uh, Larry King's advice to heart, even to this day, as I could hear it, as you call NFL games and you call big moments in games with the same enjoyment as you do streakers on the field, Kevin. So you're clearly... Uh, Rich, I just hope it's not you. What I would love to do is call your 40 time at the Combine. <laughs> For St. Yes. Jude, that's what I want to do. I and I, by the way, next year, Kevin, I, 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 you know what? Let's do it. Let's let, let's let's get yeah. that on. Let, and I'll get I'll get people to to and I'll think of weird stuff to say. And I'll and I'll and I'll do something for for NFL Network, and and, yes. and we'll get that on because that cause if, if there is a cause to believe in, thank you. That that is a cause is a cause to believe in. Well, I just hope that your call is less than six seconds this time around. Oh, there'll be a there'll be a preamble, there'll be the call, and then there'll be the afterword. And that will be the fun part to call. Huffing and puffing and striding. Look at him go. Oh, galloping his way. We could have so much fun with that. Let please let me do that. Don't ask anybody please. else. No, don't worry. It's in. You're locked in. It's done. The jo- the job's yours, Kevin. Thank That's you. a horse I can ride. <laughs> that is a horse. This is great, Kevin. Thank you for being on Just Getting Started. And uh, this whole season on Westwood One, a total blast. Look forward Can't to it. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Uh, an honor to be with you. My privilege to be joining you on this podcast. Thank you, Rich. Kevin Harlan here on Just Getting Started. What a fun episode with Kevin Harlan. I mean, what a lush, lush story from the way he grew up and what his father did for a living and how he got exposed to that and then making the most of his opportunities. Again, I think that's what we're beginning to see here is the opportunities that have been afforded to our guests, You know, some of them uh, due to their families, Joe Buck from Fox and now Kevin Harlan, but it's what you do with them. You know, that only take you so far. And I just also love the piece of advice that Kevin Harlan got from Larry King. And it may come across, certainly in an industry where, you know, everybody thinks the talking head, it's all about them, and they have an ego, and we all have egos. I mean, we don't like to be told that we suck, clearly, and that's what you get on Twitter. By the way, my handle is at Rich Eisen. If you want to tell me I suck, I'll just ignore it. But please, give me a follow. That it sounds egotistical that do what interests you. That's what Larry King says. Talk about the stuff that interests you. And that is a piece of advice that I totally understand. Certainly since I do a show with my own name on it. And it it takes a serious set of uh, cojones. A little bit of uh, the old, what, Nicki Minaj cousin's friend to follow that advice. Because there's always a self-doubt. Like, just because it interests me, is it going to interest a whole bunch of other people? It's called broadcasting for a reason. Broad is the root of broadcasting. It's not narrow casting. And that's what we're seeing so much these days is there's so much narrow casting. That's the way you get your news. You get this, you get that. But trying to reach the largest bunch of people to bring you, bring them into your tent to me, it takes a set of, you know what, to say, I'm just going to talk about what interests me and hope that it interests other people. That is one way to look at it. The other way I look at it as well, that it takes a, a certain confidence level that you are going to talk about just the stuff you want to talk about. 
stuff that interests you. If it makes you happy, if it makes you laugh, you should do it. You know, obviously, again, broadcasting, you're not just broadcasting for yourself and your own jollies as I did to pretty much start my ESPN Sports Center career when everything was a joke and it really wasn't all that good. So you could be dangerous if that's if that's your your only mantra or the only way you look at it. But the reason why Larry King said what he said, I believe, is not just to say the stuff that interests you because you believe in yourself and that what you like you're betting on everybody else is going to like too. But what that means is talk about what you like, what makes you happy, what makes you laugh, what makes you interested is another way of saying be genuine. And the most successful people I've met in this business in now 25 years of sports broadcasting or being in the voice of the NFL world is being genuine is a sign of tremendous success. Only the most successful people have that ability. And it is so important to be genuine because every successful person I've met in this business on the air is who they are off the air. Same person. Stuart Scott, the guy that you saw on the air, sure, was he saying these lines, catchphrases and and citing lyrics and all of that stuff. Well, that's what he was doing off the air. The silly stuff he was doing on the air, same guy off the air, same person. Lights on, lights off. Chris Berman, same way. Same exact way. Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Craig Kilborn, you know, Robin Roberts and Charlie Stein. I mean, on and on and on. Linda Cohn, same person. On and off the air. You know, will they have an anchor voice or something? A little bit. Sometimes when you're doing, you know, just trying to enunciate. Same thing. Michael Irvin. Deion Sanders. Over and over again. I keep telling you. So when Larry King says, talk about the stuff that you like that interests you, that's you being genuine. You're just saying, hey, this is what I believe. And let the chips fall fall where they may. You know? And that's the my mantra going about my job every day on the Rich Eisen show. Again, it's fun to refer to a name with my own name in it, which sounds egotistical, but that's the name of it, you know. Um, is that I'm going to talk about the stuff that interests me. Talk about my life best I can, about my wife who sits in for me. My wife, Susie, fills in, and I love that. Talk about my kids, talk about movies, talk about TV shows, and then my opinions about the NFL and sports in general. And let the chips fall where they may. I'm being genuine, literally um, saying stuff on the air that I would say off the air. And I think that's what Larry King was telling Kevin Harlan, um, that there's two ways of looking at it. Like I said, one is you got to have the confidence and belief in self to talk about stuff that you think the rest of the world likes. And and, and 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 in that regard, in the NFL Network, on the NFL Network, on the air when I'm hosting a draft or a combine or game day morning on a Sunday this fall, as I do every Sunday from 9 a.m. Eastern to kickoff of the 1 o'clock games on the Eastern time zone, that I'll always ask the questions that I think fans have either called into my show to ask me or I think fans are most interested in. Try to put myself in the fan's shoes. 
So that's my way of broadcasting, but I'm also interested in the answer to the question myself because I consider myself a fan. And then the other part of looking at it again is, is to, you know, make sure you're genuine. Literally asking questions that I'm concerned about myself. And also reacting to the guys on the air in the same way that I would in a meeting or, you know, in an airport terminal waiting for the same flight to take us somewhere pre-pandemic. So, great piece of advice right there from Larry King to Kevin Harlan. That's not a name I was expecting during this uh, series of podcasts. Although Larry used to be a, a voice of the NFL. He worked on the Miami Dolphins broadcast way back in the day. That'll wrap it up for, for this. I want to thank Kevin Harlan and for you for downloading this. You should get the other uh, podcast shows that are previous to this with Al Michaels and Joe Buck. Don't miss that. 